closer we are in a new series all about getting closer to God and closer to the dreams that God has called you to achieve and the word closer means to eliminate distance to eliminate distraction to draw nearer to something or to someone so if you're wanting to get closer in a relationship you're spending more time you're cutting the distance between how often you talk to them or uh, how close you get to them. And, and the idea of getting closer to God is that I want to move God from being low on the priority list to being at the top of the priority list. For some of us, last year, God kind of drifted down. He was, he was number seven, number eight, number nine, and you were, you were working on so many other things. You got busy. You had a to-do list. You had tasks. You had relationships you were working on. And unintentionally, you kind of drifted from how close you were to God, and God's saying, it's time to get close to me. It's time to draw closer to me. Maybe you were close to God, and God's saying, I want you even closer this year, and I want you closer to the dreams and the plans and the purpose that I have for your life. God has a purpose for you and for me, and so last week, we talked about the story of Joshua, and we started off with Joshua chapter one, and I gave you 22 points, and I said, you're not always going to get a 22-point sermon. But I gave you, and it felt like 66 points because three services times 22 is 66. And some of those points were like three in one. Like it was like stay encouraged, stay surrendered, and give somebody love, you know? <laughs> and they were like, that was, that was three points right there. And so I felt like I had given a ton of points. So this weekend is a little different. I, instead of giving you points, I'm gonna preach line by line, verse by verse. We're gonna pick up in Joshua chapter two. Yeah, we get loud about the word of God. This is a shout back church. What? Okay. Joshua chapter 2. Here we go. Let's go. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Now, before we get into this, let me say this. Um, this message is about getting closer to your future. And, and that's really what I want to title the message today is closer to your future. Turn to someone next to you and say, you're closer to your future than you think you are. This is really the story of Joshua chapter 2. The Israelites have been given a commission from God. God spoke to Joshua in Joshua chapter one. He gave him some instructions. He said, I want you to draw close to me. I want you to meditate on my word. I want you to study this book of the law. And I want you to study the vision that I'm giving you because I'm about to take you into the promised land, Joshua. And you're closer to the promised land than you think you are. And so Joshua gets the vision. He shares it with his people. And then in chapter two, verse one, it says, then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent Two spies from, and you got to be careful how you say this, because some of us would just, we would just say shit them, but it's shite them. <laughs> Everybody say shite them. Okay, so some of y'all are still stuck in shite them, and God's trying to get you out of shite them right now. <laughs> and he says, go look over the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. And the king of Jericho found out that there's some spies that have come into the land and they're at Rahab's house. So he sent word to Rahab. He said, bring out the two spies that are staying with you. And she responded. Look at this in verse four, Joshua chapter two. 
So she responds back to him. The, the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, yes, the men came to me, but I don't know where they came from. And I don't know where they went. They left, and I don't know which way they went. So go after them quickly so that you may catch up with them. By the way, this is all a lie. <laughs> God is using a lying prostitute to display his glory and his purpose and his plan and the earth. Put that in your theological pipe and smoke it or vape it or don't do anything with it. Just, just let it break your religious spirit. All right. So she had taken them up to the roof and she had hidden them under the stalks of flax and she had laid out on the roof. So this prostitute is lying. She's covering them. She's hiding them. And then she betrays her own nation. She betrays her king, her people. And the men set out in pursuit for the spies that are on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan and they're not. And as soon as they had left, the, the gate was shut. And then before the spies laid down for the night, Rahab went up on the roof and said to them, I have heard about your God. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. So she's going through a track record. She's saying, you guys have a reputation. Your God has a reputation and it is powerful and we are afraid of you. And when we heard about your reputation, she said in verse 11, our hearts melted in fear. Everyone's courage has left them because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Some of y'all need to be reminded how powerful your God is. You need to be reminded how great your God is. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Now we have a lying, bribing, negotiating businesswoman prostitute making a deal with God and his people. Come on, God's in the business of using anybody, anywhere, through any means... <laughs> And then he says this, or she says this, give me a sign that you will spare the lives of my father. She said, I don't want you to just save me. I want you to save my dad. I want you to give my dad a spot and my mom and my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them. I want our family to be grafted into your story so that you will save us from death. And watch what happens next. Our lives for your lives, they said. If you don't tell what we are doing, this whole chapter is really a chapter about secrecy and discretion. If you don't tell anyone what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. And so she let them down by a rope through the window. I love this. I was going to preach this sermon with a rope, and I was going to come down from the catwalk. <laughs> but I want, to, I want to drop this rope down. Um, I was, if, I, if I preached from the rope, I was gonna have to wear a harness and the camera shot was gonna be very uncomfortable for all of us. <laughs> and so I said, scratch that idea, let's just, uh, let's just show them the rope. So she lets down a rope. Everybody say, hold on to the rope. From the house she lived in because she lived on the wall. She lived on part of the wall. And she said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return for three days. I don't have points in this sermon. I really believe the Holy Spirit wants to give you your own set of points through this message. I believe that he wants to talk to you through each scripture, 
So really the points are up to you. But I do believe that during those three days, God was speaking to these two spies. And I think what God was saying to them was maybe something along the lines of, I will use anyone with a past. I will save anyone with a past, night two. And I will save their family, even with their past as well. God was grafting into the story of the children of God, a prostitute and her entire family. And I think it's interesting, just, just pondering that this story shows up in chapter two and that God wanted all of us to hear it. God wanted all of us to study it. And so she said, go on your way. Look at this in verse 17. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord out the same window. So we've got this red scarlet cord. And this same window through which you let us down will be the same window that we look for the scarlet thread that will save you, your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your family in your house. If any of them go outside the house, this is so important for 2022 to stay in the house. Stay in the house where God has called you. There's salvation in the house. There's miracles in the house. There's connections in the house. There's networking opportunities God has for your business in the house. There's relationships in the house that God's called you to cultivate. There is deliverance and freedom found in the house that God has planted you in. If any of you leave the house, this oath will no longer be in place. We won't be responsible if you die. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our heads if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from this oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. And she sent them and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray, God, that you would minister to every person here, every person who's watching online. God, I pray that we would leave changed, encouraged, challenged, God. Challenged in our thinking, challenged in our theology, challenged even in our understanding of righteousness and faith and grace and the family of God and the purposes of God and the heart and the nature of God. Help us today, Lord, to embrace you with an open mind, an open heart, and help us to realize that our future is closer than we think it is. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. So let's start with verse one. I kind of just want to walk through this, and, um, and, and I believe God wants to speak to you with each verse. Verse one, Joshua, son of Nun, secretly, secretly. Joshua was doing something in secrecy because he had seen what happens when you make things public too much. He had seen the, the consequences when too many people know what's going on and too many people are weighing their opinions in on a matter. He secretly sent two spies. I think oftentimes we feel like we've got to tell everybody what we're doing and we want everybody to like what we're doing. <laughs> like we need everybody to heart our Instagram post. We need everybody to comment something positive about what we're doing. You know, you, like oftentimes I've seen this on Instagram. I've been, I've been guilty of doing this too, where it's like, I want people to know I've been reading my Bible. So I'll stage the picture. I got the Bible out, my highlighter. Right before I take the picture, I underline a couple of scriptures so people know I've been reading it. Got the coffee mug right here, the journal open, 
pen laying on it. I'm like, just spending time in the secret place with the Lord, you know. <laughs> it's not so secret. How many of y'all know somebody? You are that somebody that's, <laughs> it's okay. Listen, but not everything needs to be shared publicly. Not all your quiet time has to be posted on Instagram. There's some stuff that God says, can that just be between you and me? Like, does everybody on your Instagram follow? Like, do they have to know what I spoke to you recently? Or can I have some secret words with you? Can I have some secret plans that no one else knows about until it's finished? Joshua had seen the results of too many people knowing the plan. When he served Moses, his mentor, his spiritual father, in Numbers 13, Moses announced to Israel, hey, we've got a promised land in front of us. It's amazing. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. God told me about it. And then Moses told the entire nation, I want 12 of you to go and spy out the land. So Joshua was one of the 12, one of the 12 spies. And he watched as each spy had their own opinion about Moses' revelation. And they came back to Moses and the entire nation. And they begin to share their revelation of the land. They said, yeah, it's nice. It's, it's good. The future looks bright. However, we're not good enough. The giants there are bigger than us. We're like grasshoppers in, in our own eyes. And Joshua began to listen to all these different people's opinions. Maybe the reason he was doing this secretly, even for his own nation, was because he was trying to protect the vision that God had put in his heart. Maybe the reason he sent two instead of 12 was because he had graduated from middle school. And he was thinking, I don't need everyone else to like the vision or to agree with it. I only need two now. Somebody say, I only need two. I don't need 12 people. Now, Proverbs says in the counsel of many is wisdom, but sometimes you already know what God said. Oftentimes, we, we especially when you're close to God's heart and it lines up with the word of God and the will of God, you don't need everybody's buy-in. And I think sometimes we feel like we have to have it or we have to consult even worldly resources to find out if it's the right thing to do. But Joshua said, I only need two. I don't need everyone else trying to tell me whether or not we should conquer this land, whether or not we should go. I've been waiting 40 years for what I saw when I was a 20-year-old, and I'm ready to go, and I don't need 12 opinions, and I don't need the whole nation to weigh in on this. I only need two. His goodness and his mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I only need two. I need the goodness of God and I need the mercy of God. I only need two. I need God's word and I need his Holy Spirit leading me, guiding me. I need God speaking directly to me. Some, sometimes we, we allow too many voices and opinions into a decision. I remember I was writing a song and, um, and I was not super confident in it. But it was like, it was a raw expression of what God was doing in my heart. And so out of my own insecurity and lack of confidence, I opened it up to all these people and I was like, hey, what are your thoughts on this? And people started weighing in, giving their opinion. Oh, you need to change this. Oh, these lines are kind of cheesy. Oh, this won't reach my generation. Oh, this melody just feels kind of like it could be better. And, and before I knew it, the song had become 12 other people's expression of what they thought the song should be, and it completely lost the raw, genuine, sincere download that I had from God. And I thought, well, they know better because their opinions matter more than what God spoke to me. And I called a mentor in my life who also writes songs with his church. And I said, hey, what do you do 
when you think you've got a song, but all these other people want to like change it. And he said, Paul, what the world needs is the raw, sincere expression that God is speaking to you. Be careful how many voices are changing your voice. Be careful how many opinions are shaping you as a preacher. Be careful how many counselors you have trying to determine what kind of music or, or sermons or decisions you make during a pandemic. Be careful how many channels you're watching and newspaper articles you're reading. Be careful how many opinions you allow to determine what your promised land should look like. I don't need Fox News to tell me what we should do as a church. I don't need CNN or MSNBC or Instagram or TikTok videos determining what kind of culture our church is. I don't need Twitter comments because people can try to shape what we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to do, and I need to react and please all these people on Twitter or TikTok or Instagram, or I need to follow what everyone else is doing. When we made a decision as a church to open up during a pandemic, no one in our city was doing it in that moment. And I started calling around and well-meaning, good people were telling me to do something different than what I felt the Holy Spirit was leading us to do. And I was trying to listen and I was trying to please and I felt the Lord say, are you going to follow man's plans or are you going to follow what I'm speaking to you, Paul? And sometimes you just have to forget about everyone else's opinion. And you have to go, does this line up with God's heart? Does this line up with God's scripture? And if so, and I'm feeling a prompting of the Holy Spirit, I only need to. I think we're going to go in. So Joshua secretly sent in two, two spies from Shittim. Let's talk about Shittim for a second. You can't get into the promised land until you go through Shittim. <laughs> Some of y'all have been going through a lot of, you've been in Shittim for a long time, and God says, your promised land is coming. Your victory is coming. You have to see a vision in Shittim before you go into Jericho. He wanted them to see it before they were there. See it before you see it. Get a vision. So many times we, we are staying in a place that's difficult. We're in a, a wilderness season and we can't look beyond it. So Joshua said, I want you to get some binoculars and look outside of Shittim. Even though we're here, this is not our permanent spot. Even though we're in debt right now, in 2022, get a vision that we're going to be debt-free. Even though I'm addicted right now, get a vision with your binoculars. I'm walking in freedom in 22. Even though I might feel unhealthy right now and eating food I shouldn't eat, get a vision of where I'm headed in 2022. He said, I want you to go and see your future. I want you to see that this is not your permanent destination. Your future is in front of you. Don't get stuck here. Don't get comfortable here. Don't make excuses to stay here. Don't make excuses to stay here. He said, that's what our ancestors did. That's what our parents did. They convinced each other, we're not big enough to go forward, so we might as well stay here. And they missed out on the promised land. He said, it's time for our generation to see what's in front of us and to go after it. And so he said in verse 1, especially look at Jericho. Now, this is important. Because later on in the book of Joshua, you'll find out they go into like 30 other cities. Joshua knew Jericho was just the beginning. They had to conquer Ai. They had to go all through Canaan, the Hittites, the Amorites. The, there's all kinds of ites all through the book of Joshua. He said, we've got a lot of enemies to conquer. We've got a lot of towns we're called to possess. The land that God swore to our father Abraham, who had many sons and many sons had father Abraham. That land is ours. 
But don't go looking at every town. Don't get ahead of our first step. When you go in, look at verse one. He says, when you go in, focus on Jericho. Because if you try to focus on every step, you're going to get overwhelmed. If you try to see what everything you have to accomplish this year, all in the, in the first month of January, you're going to miss out on just taking the first step. So many times we get stuck on step one because we're thinking about step 13. And so we go into the gym the first day and we read our Bible before we go in and we pray. And then we go into the gym and we go, okay, I've read my Bible, I prayed, I'm at the gym. And after an hour, we're like, ah, my waist still hasn't changed. <laughs> we step on the weighing machine and we're like, ah, I'm not at step 13. Of course you're not. You're on step one. Don't get mad that you haven't conquered it all yet. Just focus on step one. He said, I want you to especially focus on our first step because our first step is going to be the launching pad for step two, three, and four. But you can't get to step four until you just focus on Jericho, especially Jericho. Just keep on reading your Bible and showing up to church. Just keep on showing up to the connect group. Just keep walking into discipleship class. But I haven't conquered the addiction yet. Of course you haven't yet because you've only gone one step. But if you just stay on step one and you just focus on it and you get around that wall and you keep walking around it, you're going to get to step two. You're going to get to step three. You're going to get to step four. But you'll be overwhelmed if you're just focusing on step 13 while you're still on step one. Don't look way ahead. Just look right here. We want God to do things like a microwave. And he's a crockpot God. He says, this is gonna take some time. This is not, your microwave generation needs to chill out. Your Instagram generation needs to let this photo develop. I've got you in a dark room. Like the olden days. Y'all remember the old days, how photos were developed? And they had, to, they, had to be, they had to go through a process in the dark room before the picture could really be seen. Now it's just so fast on our phone. And we go, well, how come I haven't seen the change? And God says, just focus on Jericho. This is where I've got you right now. In order to get out of Shittim, you got to just focus on Jericho. So he sent them. And they went and they entered the house of a prostitute. Why a prostitute? Was there no more Airbnbs left in Jericho? <laughs> where, like, what about the hotels? What about the other VRBOs? Like, where, what, how come they, ha they had to go into a prostitute's house? And I think, I think this is where God wants to challenge the church in 22. I think what God was speaking to me this week is, it's time to reevaluate how we have perceived the way that God works and who God works through and the mercy of God and the compassion of God and the grace of God. It doesn't mean that this woman's lifestyle was acceptable in God's eyes. It just means his love was bigger than her lifestyle. It means that his plan and his purpose was not dictated by her lifestyle. His purpose for Rahab was bigger than her present. In fact, what's crazy is it doesn't say God gave her a testimony and then the men stayed the night in her house. She was still a prostitute when they were in her house. The prostitution gig had not stopped yet. <laughs> like her career was still in, in motion. 
I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, don't find yourself too much in the story. But look at the story <laughs> and realize that God will use people that you might deem unusable. And you might go, well, they haven't cleaned up their act. And God says, you're discounting them because you don't like yourself. And if you always have this insane high standard of righteous perfection that people have to live out, you will literally push people out of heaven, including yourself. Until you get a bigger picture of God's mercy and grace, you'll constantly be disqualifying yourself and others. He says, I use who I want to use, when I want to use them, how I want to use them. So God chooses a prostitute named Rahab. And the king of Jericho finds out. Even though it was secret for Joshua and the Israelites, it became public in Jericho. And word starts spreading. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. Your past will always be calling to you as your future is also calling. Rahab is stuck at an intersection between her past and her future. Here she is, and she is part of a nation that she has grown up with. She has experienced the traditions of Jericho. She has been taught the ways of Jericho. She has believed the ideology of Jericho. And all of a sudden, God shows up in her house. She is got a choice to make. Will she pledge allegiance to the nation that she has always pledged allegiance to, or will she graft herself into a new nation? Will she accept a new calling on her life? Will she cut ties with her past in order to grab hold of her future? In order to take hold of the rope, the scarlet thread over here, did anyone ever see the, uh, the Batman movie from like eight years? There's been like 25 Batmans, but the Christopher Nolan Batman where he, there's this one part in the movie, in the very first one, Batman Begins, where he's being trained by a samurai and he's out in the mountains and he's in the ice and there's this moment where he has to jump off a rock and grab hold of a rope. Y'all know what I'm talking about? If you don't, just picture this. Just close your eyes for a second. It's Batman and you. <laughs> and Batman says, in order for us to get out of this cave, we have to leave the ground of comfort and jump out to grab hold of the rope. This is where Rahab was at. To betray her nation meant that she might die, but she also knew if she stays quiet and paralyzed by fear, she'll be killed either way. So she realizes her only option is faith. So she leaves the ground of comfort and she jumps with Batman to grab hold of the rope of faith. Now, don't go to sleep on me. Open your eyes. All right. When the woman was confronted by the king, she lies. Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. If there's one thing her profession has taught her, it's the act of discretion. She knew how to hide men, and she knew how to keep things secret. It's in the Bible, okay? So she covers and at dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. And I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You might catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof, and she had hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. 
And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Here they were trapped in a city by enemies all around. These two spies were the only Hebrew men in the city. They're hiding on a rooftop. The gate has been shut. And they're getting a vision of the future. But I also believe these two guys are dealing with some fear of their own. Because for 40 years, they had been told by their parents in the wilderness, we are not big enough to handle Jericho. We are not strong enough to handle Jericho. We are not smart enough. We don't have enough soldiers. We're not qualified to take on the promised land. They had heard all the excuses and all the reasons by the 10 spies who represented the majority of the people of Israel who got stuck in Shittim and stuck in the wilderness. And so here these two spies are wondering, what does the future hold for us, for our nation? And they watched as this harlot Rahab lied for them and covered for them, and they're wondering what she's going to say. And she comes up right before they go to sleep in verse 8. Right before they were going down for the night, she goes up to the roof and she says to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land. Imagine what it would feel like to hear from your enemy a declaration of victory. She was saying, you guys have been running from a defeated foe. You've been running from us, but we've been scared about you for the last 40 years. You've been stuck in a wilderness that you accepted when we were quaking in fear when you walked through the Red Sea. She said, you don't know how powerful you are. You don't know how powerful your God is. Could God use your enemy to tell you how powerful you are? What if God was going to use the attacks of the enemy? He didn't send them, but he's saying the, the fact that you've walked through adversity and trials and attacks in a wilderness is not proof that God is absent from you or that he doesn't have a big future for you. In fact, it's the other way around. The fact you've walked through trials and wilderness and Red Seas and you've walked through plagues and all kinds of difficulties in your family, in your marriage, in your health is proof that God has something great on the other side for you because the devil doesn't waste bullets and he doesn't just attack people who have nothing on their future. You must have something special on you. You must be more powerful than you realize. You must have a God that's great greater than you realize. She was trying to tell them the reason that you're here and the reason that, that, that you have been sent to my house is so that I can tell you on behalf of all your enemies here, we have been quaking in fear. Our hearts have melted. Our courage has left when we heard about your God and about you. Turn to someone next to you and say, you don't know what's inside you. I think sometimes our own self-image and our own image of God is what's blocking us from walking forward into our future. What's holding us back from grabbing the rope of hope and the rope of faith and the rope of a future that is prosperous and a future that has impact and significance and influence, what's holding us back is not that the enemy is bigger than us. It's that we have our own image that is making us smaller than we actually are. We're disqualifying ourselves. And Rahab said, stop disqualifying yourself. Stop thinking less of yourself. You guys are supposed to take this land. You guys are coming in, and we, have, we don't stand a chance against your God. She was saying this to them to help them understand. I think she was saying this inspired by the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, these are my thoughts. I'm not saying it's... it's I'm just saying God used a prostitute to prophesy over the Israelites. You will take this land. 
I love, I love, yeah, I just love, I love rattling the cages of all of our religiousness. God uses a lying, bribing prostitute to display his purpose. And then she says, your God has a reputation. We need to be reminded that God has done great things through imperfect people. She said, you know, your God, he worked through people like Abraham and Sarah, who had been told that they could never have children. Not to mention that Abraham and Sarah also made a, a bad decision in the process of the promise when he slept with Hagar, Sarah's maidservant, and had Ishmael. And yet God still blessed, your God still blesses people who are, who are not always perfect. Your God still moves through people who don't always get it right. And God gave Sarah a baby in her old age. Your God supersedes what doctors say is possible. Your God is bigger than COVID. Your God is bigger than a pandemic. Your God is greater than even the pain of your past or the grief of your lost loved ones. You might have walked through some pain. You might not understand why you had to go through this. I, I wonder if Rahab said more things that, that night on the roof and we're just getting kind of the, the cliff notes, like the guy version. I want to know the girl. I want to know like the amplified version. I want to know my mom's version of the story because she always got like a whole lot more words to say. You know, if you ask, you know how you can ask two people what happened and one person might give you a sentence, the other person might give you an hour long conversation. I want that. I want to know what else did Rahab say? I think she was reflecting with them about the past. She said, your God has a reputation. The same God who parted the Red Sea for Moses, who also was once a murderer. But he was hidden by his mom. He, he had a secret plan on his life. He was put in a basket. He was found by Pharaoh's daughter. When he found out who he really was and the power that was inside him, when he found out his DNA was different than the Egyptians, he found out he had a calling on his life. He didn't know how to handle it. And out of his own immaturity, he killed somebody. And God still used him to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. Your God used people like the lying, cheating, deceiving man named Jacob who stole his brother's birthright, who made a whole lot of mistakes along the way and couldn't make up his mind between Leah and Rachel. And, and he was pretty sure he loved Rachel, but he still was with Leah because it was Laban who messed all that up. And God works through dysfunctional families. And God uses people like Joseph, who was abused by his 12 brothers, thrown in a pit, sold as a slave, accused of a crime he never committed, and yet elevated to second in command in Egypt. And God uses families like Judah and Benjamin, the same ones who hurt Joseph. And God uses people like Isaac, who repeat the same sins of their dad. And God works through all these people, and God has brought you to me, and I'm here to tell you that I want to be a part of that same story. What gave Rahab faith to believe that God could use her is she understood who God used in the past. When you know the reputation that God has and you believe it, it gives you hope that God can use you. If God can use Rahab, he can use you. If God works through Rahab, if God saved Rahab's family, he can save your family. If God works through Jacob and Isaac and Abraham and Moses, he can work through your family and the people that you've written off and the people that you've disqualified. Come on, God draws a bigger circle when the world and the church tries to push people out. God says, no, I'm going to use them too. But then she says, not only does your God have a reputation, you have a reputation. And I think this is important for all of us going into 22. To get closer to our future, we've got to get a revelation of how God sees us. 
I've got to get a revelation that I am the righteousness of God, that I am a child of God, that I am here on purpose because I have a purpose. I've got to believe that God has great things in my future. Otherwise, I will settle for shydom. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Don't settle for shydom. In your relationships, as a single, don't settle for shydom. God, <laughs> we're like really thinking through this and like we might have to edit this out of the video. It's in the Bible. Joshua said, we've got to move forward. I want the keys to come up. Now then swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness. So she starts negotiating. She was a good businesswoman. I showed you kindness. Now you show me kindness. Yeah. I covered for you. Now I need you to cover me. Cover my family. I love that Rahab was not just thinking about herself. I love that when Rahab let that rope out the window and the scarlet thread. She was saying, I can't stay in my past anymore. I, I've, I've made too many mistakes. I've done too many things that I shouldn't have done. I, I've, had, I've had a past that I'm not proud of. And I've had generational curses in my family that have hurt me and my brothers and my sisters and my mom and my dad. But if I leave them here and I get out, I'll be thinking for the rest of my life, who could I have saved with that scarlet thread? See, your future isn't just about you. It's about your legacy. It's about people who are connected to you. So she, she grabs the rope and she starts thinking of her family members. John, come over here. Mom, grand, grand, come over here. Come on over here. And I love that when you make a small step towards God's future for your life, it grafts in a legacy. Grand Grand, will you take hold of the scarlet thread for me? It started with you. Mom, will you hold her hand? John. Mom, will you hold John's hand? <laughs> We're figuring this out. We didn't practice this illustration. What I'm saying is, a legacy was started by Rahab. She said, this isn't just for me. This is for my kids and my kids' kids. And Victory Church in 1981 when it started. And now it's 2022, and 41 years. And, and I wonder who I could grab hold of. I mean, we could make this illustration. I could literally, we could just create an entire line. We just all hold hands today. But the legacy started. Give them a big hand. I'm so thankful for my family. The legacy started with Rahab. Everybody say, it starts with me. She took responsibility for her future. I cannot allow the opinions and the labels that people have put on me to keep me from grabbing hold of the rope. She could have said, I'm a prostitute. I'm a harlot. I'm not part of the Hebrew family. There's no space for me. If there's anyone in this city that God would save, it definitely wouldn't be harlot Rahab over here. She could have made all the excuses to not go towards the rope. But by faith, again, there's no mention in the Bible yet that anything has changed except for her faith. This is why God says the righteousness 
of your own good deeds is filthy rags in his eyes. But the righteousness that comes by faith comes so that no man can boast. That Jesus demonstrated his love for us, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. She grabbed hold of that scarlet thread, even in her bad lifestyle. And she said, I believe that God has a plan, not just for me, but for my brother, Mark, my sister, Stephanie, my dad. I think about how many families are in this church because one person grabbed hold of the rope. How many of y'all are here because one person in your family brought you here? One person made an impact. I was asking Catherine, who leads our dream team, right before this, I said, how did you come here? She said, well, she said, actually, I was the only one in my family that came here. I came by myself. And then I pulled in Harry, her husband. And then Harry pulled in his family. And then we've pulled in other people. And I can't tell you how many people Catherine and Harry and now the family has brought into this church because one person took a hold of the rope. You can't take a hold of your future until you cut ties with your past. She was pledging allegiance to a greater future. She, she was betraying her past because she knew my past has nothing for me. I will love them, but I have something greater in my future. I don't know. I think God wants us to chew on that for a little bit. And so the men made an oath with her. They made a commitment to her, a covenant with her. Holy Spirit, speak to us right now in this place. God, I pray, Lord, that you would download what you want to download in the hearts of every person here today. In 2014, I just stepped in as pastor, and we did a series called Forever. It was a series about heaven. And I was this week, I was looking on all my notes on Rahab, because I was like, I know I'm going to preach on Rahab this week. And so I was reading this story. I was like, man, this is a crazy story, <laughs> you know? And then I started looking through all the scriptures where the name Rahab shows up. And I wouldn't spend as much time on her if, if she was only mentioned once in the Bible, but she's mentioned all throughout the Bible. Like when God gets ready to introduce the Messiah, Jesus, guess whose name is mentioned in Matthew chapter one? Yeah, it's like Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah, and da, 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 da. And then it's like, go to verse five, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. New King James Version says Rahab the prostitute. They're still calling her by her past. But God used Rahab the prostitute as the mother of Boaz, and Boaz had a heart for an outsider named Ruth who was a Moabite who wasn't part of the Hebrew family because he grew up with a mom who understood what it was like to live outside of God's family and be grafted in. And when he married Ruth, they had Obed, and Obed had Jesse, and Jesse had David, and David understood what it was like to be rejected and left out of the house when Samuel came to anoint the next king because he was the last one to be brought in. And David walked through mistakes himself, and yet God used this whole family to bring them Messiah into God uses who he wants to use and he loves everyone and he saves anyone who's willing to call on his name and he redeems us and then in Hebrews 11 God starts giving us a list of heroes of our faith he says faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not yet seen Rahab had a vision of a future that wasn't there yet but she saw it before she saw it she saw it for her whole family and then in Hebrews 11, it starts talking about Abraham and starts talking about Moses. And then you get to verse, verse I wanna go to verse 29, that God led them through the Red Sea. God has been leading some of you in deep waters, not to drown you, but to drown your enemies. 
God has been leading you through some trials and crisis and difficulties, and, and he didn't send it, but he says, I'm using this to purify you. I'm setting you free from the enemy of depression, the enemy of doubt, the enemy of insecurity, the enemy of, of, of constantly criticizing and skeptical about my word. God's drowning out your enemies, and he's saying, I'm bringing you on dry ground. And then, then, then Hebrews keeps going. The walls of Jericho fell because of faith. It wasn't their shout, it wasn't their march, it was just faith. Faith brought down the walls. And then in verse 31, by faith the prostitute Rahab, there it is again, they're still calling her the prostitute, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And then he goes on to say, and what more shall I say? I don't have time to talk about Gideon. You don't have time to talk about Gideon? We did a whole series on Gideon. Fight or flight, I remember, it's 2016. There's a lot to say about Gideon, his story's amazing. He says, I don't have time to talk about Gideon or Barak or Samson. Samson? We can't talk about Samson and Delilah, you know, or Jephthah. And then he says, I don't have time to talk about David. David, we did a 12-week series on David. I love the story. It's amazing. He says, I don't have time to talk about David, but I do have time to talk about Rahab because I want the world to know that God specializes in using women like Rahab. And I want the world, I want the church to know that God will use people in ways that you may not recognize or deem as usable. And so during that series forever, I was looking at my notes and I realized I preached a whole sermon called 18 Minutes in Heaven, where I walked around the room and I had our whole church close eyes and imagine that we were in heaven. Let's do it just for a second. Close your eyes, you're in heaven. You're walking down the streets of gold. The clouds are all around you, the angels. You see Oral Roberts, Billy Graham, Billy Joe Doherty. Lester Summerall, Terry McAuliffe. You see some of your grandparents and friends and lost loved ones that you've, you've walked through the pain and the grief of losing those people and they're there and they're hugging you and they're crying and you're having this amazing homecoming moment and there's no sadness and there's no sorrow and there's, there's no pain, there's no cancer, there's no sickness or disease. It's beautiful and then you see the line to meet with Jesus and it's like the Disney World line. It's like four hours from this point. It's backed up way off and it's like you can, you know, find your place in line. You're standing in line, and, and, and it just goes on and on. And you're like, oh, who else could I meet? St. Peter walks by. You say, hey, who, who, who could I meet here? He says, you want to meet David? Yeah, I want to meet David. You want to meet Abraham? Yes, I want to meet Abraham. And then you go, whoa, 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 whoa. My pastor, Paul, he preached about this woman named Rahab, the prostitute. Could I meet her? <laughs> and Peter says, who? You say, Rahab, the prostitute. The harlot hero in Hebrews 11. The hero that was a harlot. He says, hold on, we don't have someone like, like that. We don't have someone by that name. That name's not in my book, but I do have a Rahab here. She's right over here. Her name is Rahab the righteous. Because in heaven, we don't call people by the labels that you put on them in earth. We don't call people by their sins. We don't call them by what they did or what was done to them. We don't call them by how the world remembers them. We call them by how God has stamped them with his love and his approval. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am the righteousness of God. I am redeemed by the blood of the lamb. He says, yeah, 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 Rahab's here, but she's not the prostitute. She's the righteous one. People will judge you by your past. I remember meeting a person in our church who said, I went to rehab, and um, when I came out, I was changed. It was a Christian rehab center. By the way, shout out to all the Christian rehab centers in our state and the nation and the world. 
just doing incredible work, helping set drug addicts free, alcohol, sex addicts free, just working with people, ministering to people. And he said, man, I was, I went in bound. My withdrawals were bad. I almost died from the pain of the withdrawals the first couple of weeks. He said, but then something started changing. I got out. The problem is when I got out, people still remembered me for who I was before I went in. I went back to my hometown and I was still Derek the drug addict. Even though I was now Derek the delivered man in the eyes of God and in my own eyes. You gotta be careful whose labels you accept that have been placed over you. This last, actually last night, as I was preaching this sermon, after service, this man came down to the altar in tears and he opens up this Bible that's dirty and it's, it's crumbled up and pages are torn. And uh, he starts smiling. He says, look at this, look at this. He starts pointing at, at scriptures. And there's scribbles on there. There's doodles on there. There's words on there. And he says, look, look right here, Isaiah 54, this word that says buildings and land are coming our way. And, you know, it's like he flips the page. And look right here, you know, that, that I will remain steadfast in this, that I will see God's goodness. And he sees all these. And he closes. He says, this Bible saved my life. He's like, I found this 10 years ago in a shelter. He's like, I don't know if I stole it, they gave it to me, I don't know how I got it, but I got it. It's not mine, it's somebody else's. It's got all these words in it. But he said, I have treasured these words in this Bible. Not just the scripture, but the journals and, and the little scribbles and the, the words. And he said, I saw the last name out on the, the marquee sign, Darty, and he said, um, I, I looked back at this Bible and on the front, it says P. Darty on it. <laughs> There it is. And he said, is, is this, is this like your brother's Bible? Or is this, do you know whose Bible this is? And I start looking through, I was like, this is my Bible from middle school and high school. I said, this is, this is the Bible that I, I lost. I haven't seen this Bible in 15 years. And I start looking through the journal entries and I'm like, oh my goodness. Cause my mom and dad taught me to just always like write and underline and put notes. So there was like sermon notes from my dad's sermons in there. As I'm looking at this, I'm like getting teary eyed. I'm like, I haven't seen this in so long. And I forgot those journals that I wrote in there. And he said, this has saved my life. He said, tonight my whole family is in church. He said, because this Bible saved, the word is alive and sharper than a two-edged sword. The word is working even when you're not watching, even when you don't feel it or see it. The word is working in Rahab's life, in the rehab center's life. The word is working in that man's life, Clayton. And I just think how the scarlet thread, the connection. He said, do you want it back? I was like, yeah, I'll take it right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I said, it's yours. Fill it up. Fill it up now with your revelation. Fill it up with your thoughts. Fill it up with what God's speaking to you about Rahab and Joshua. See, God wants to give you fresh revelation. God wants to give you a future that impacts not just you, but future generations to come. I wasn't a pastor when I was writing in that Bible. I was just a teenager. God will use whoever he wants to use, however he wants to use them, whenever he wants to use them to accomplish his purpose. And I want you to stand your feet all over this place. The story ends with the men climbing out the window. In fact, it says in verse 21, she says, let it be as you say. In other words, she said, amen. I'm in agreement with the covenant we made. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And they stayed three nights in the hills. And then they returned to Joshua.
In verse 24, they said, the Lord has surely given the future into our hands. Some of us have been running from our future. We've been hiding in shame and guilt. We have not grabbed hold of the rope either because of complacency or paralyzation and fear. Something I think is interesting is that Rahab's faith came from fear. Fear and faith both meet at the same intersection. When the pandemic started, fear and faith both were at the same spot. But fear turns this way and faith turns this way. She was afraid for her life. She, like, you might go, yeah, what was the fear of God that produced faith? Yes, but it was also the fear of dying. Because she said, I I don't want to die. I don't want my family to die. There were people that when the pandemic hit, they go, I don't want to die. And because I don't want to die, I'm going to live in so much more fear of dying. And then there were people that went, I don't want to die, but I also don't want to live in fear. So I'm going to allow this sense of fear to to turn me into a, a, a direction of faith. And I'm going to take steps of faith in the face of fear. Faith is not faith until it's afraid to do it. Faith is grabbing hold of the rope even when it's uncomfortable and it's difficult. Faith is taking a step towards Jericho even when you're not sure whether or not you should give this seed into that. Like even when you don't feel, faith is when you are stretched beyond your comfort zone and you're stretched to do something that might feel scary. And some of us are at the intersection of fear or faith. And if fear grips you, you'll miss out on the future that God has for you. But if you will take hold of that rope, that scarlet thread, that God has been leading you to this place and he says, I have something for you. I have a great future for you in 22. I want you to just close your eyes all over this place. What is the step that God's asking you to take? Is it a financial step? Is it a health step? Is it a spiritual step? Is it a step practically in the natural? Is it selling the house? Is it buying? Is it, is it doing something? Is it giving away the car? Is it, is it, asking her that question is it doing what what is that step of faith what is God prompting Rahab what is God prompting you to do and I hear the Lord saying you're going to know it in the secret place you're going to find out in that place of drawing close to me I'll give you the wisdom and the vision I'll show you the future and then I'll challenge you to take a step towards it With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, man, I need to hear from God and I need to embrace a spirit of faith this year when it comes to the plans and the steps that God has laid out for me. I want you to raise your hand all over this room if that's you. God's talking to you. You're at an intersection of fear of faith. You're at an intersection right now to grab hold of the rope or to stay in a place of shame and hurt and a low self-image. And God's saying it's time to get a bigger confidence this year, to get a greater confidence in who your God is and what he's placed inside you and the steps he's ordered for you and the faith that's required to walk in those steps and the vision that he has for you. Maybe you're here today and you say, Paul, I'm not right with God, but I want to get right with God. Today's your day to surrender. Raise your hand if that's you. If you raise your hand for either of those, I want you to leave your seat. Come and meet me at this altar right now. Just step out from your seat. Come and join me at this altar. This is going to be a moment of surrender. This is going to be a moment where God begins to speak to you, where God begins to change you, transform your mind, where God begins to renew your thoughts. He begins to renew your heart. Let's just take a moment, church. Let's just worship God as each person that's coming to this altar is having an encounter with God.
You're grabbing hold of a rope this morning. Yeah, just say that out. You are for me, God. Not against me, God.
your future. He's going to be faithful to take care of your father, to take care of your mother, to take care of your kids. From the rising sun to the setting same, I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness to me. You know what I love is that God is the hero of every story, but in this story, God is absolutely the hero. That he's working through two spies dealing with fear. He's working through a prostitute named Rahab. He's working through Joshua, who just lost his spiritual father, who's in grief, who's trying to build up courage and hope and be strong. He's working through all these people who don't have it all together. And yet God's faithfulness is so much more powerful than our past. God's faithfulness is so much stronger than our performance. My faith and my anchor is not in what I do for God. I am not the hero of my story and neither are you. The scarlet thread is not what you did for God. It's what God did for you. It's how God moved through your family and through you. God led you here and God's gonna lead your future. God trusted his faithful reputation to a faithless nation, a nation that constantly, like the book of Hosea, prostituted themselves and God never forsook them and God never let them go and God never stopped chasing them and pursuing them. He was a jealous God, desiring all of them and he sent his son Jesus as the scarlet thread for you and me, his blood on the cross, his resurrection from the tomb gives us salvation, not by our works or our good deeds or our righteous acts, but by grace through faith, I am saved. And my house, my family, God wants to save you. How many have family members that you're believing God for are gonna be saved this year? How many of you know someone that just needs to just get saved, get delivered? I believe God's gonna use you like he used Rahab to pull them into the rope this year. Just pray this prayer, prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I'm all yours. Thank you for saving me, for loving me, for your forgiveness, your mercy, your compassion. You are so good. Thank you, Jesus. I look to you. I repent of sin. My heart is yours. My future is yours. And I believe that you have greater things in front of me than what is behind me. So I'm taking hold of my future. I'm drawing closer, one step at a time. My eyes are on you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you guys. God loves you.